Welcome to Stogie from the Road, a podcast for the everyday truck driver. Here we talk about life on the road and everything in between. I am your faithful trucking servant, Stogie the Trucker, and I'm joined by my faithful companion, Bonnie the One-Eyed Wonder Dog. So if you're out there burning up that highway tonight or just sitting at home relaxing, I want you to turn up that dial and enjoy this episode of Stogie from the Road. Well, hey, how are ya? How y'all doing? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to day two of this podcast, Palooza, we call Stogie from the Road, while I'm home here in my beat laboratory, doing my little podcasty poo, I'm having a little, uh, little drinky poo here, mm, I'm sure y'all love the sound of that, but hey, call the cops, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm here in the podcast. We're doing another one. I told you I would. We're stacking them up, racking them up, making sure you guys have plenty of content to listen to when you're out there on the old highways and byways when you're bored and you want to listen to the endless ramblings of my bullshit. It's fun, isn't it? I think it's fun. I have fun doing this. That's the main reason why I do it, is I, is I enjoy it, I enjoy talking to you guys, I enjoy knowing that you guys are listening, for those of you that are listening, and uh, it's a nice little creative outlet for me, you know, while I'm here at the house. It's weird because, you know, you're used to being on the road and you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go, you get up, you have your coffee, you get dressed, and you hit the freaking road and you, you just put your foot in it and you stay in it all day long, and it's like... Yeah, you just feel like O.J. Simpson flying down the fucking highway. You're just being chased by that invisible clock. It's crazy. Sorry, having another drink here. Loosening up. I want to give you guys the best podcast I possibly can. I don't want you guys to feel gypped or anything. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. Um... Like I said in my last podcast, it's been a rather eventful uh, month since I've been out. There's a lot of things that we're working on in preparation for the truck show season. And we'll kind of go through that throughout the entire podcast. I'm just going to kind of wing it today. Typically, I've got show notes that I kind of follow along as far as things that I've got on my mind. Um, And I have that today, but not a lot of them. I'm just going to kind of like... Just talk to you guys. Last night when I did a podcast, I had pretty strict kind of, uh, I don't know, template for what I wanted to talk about. But we're not going to do that today. We're just going to wing it. I'm going to enjoy this glass of, uh, of whiskey here. Enjoy this nice, beautiful box press Oliva Serie V Melania. Melanio. This is an incredible cigar. Guys, we don't talk about cigars enough, especially for me being Stogie the Trucker. And I want to implement that into the podcast. I want to talk about cigars with you guys. Because a lot of you guys are under the misconception that cigars are like cigarettes. And you guys couldn't be more fucking wrong about that than the day is long. And uh, so, in this cigar, this, is like, this thing's like a fucking Snickers bar. It's like a candy bar. Beautiful, beautiful cigar. Oliva Siri V. Melanio. Box press. Beautiful. Medium to full-bodied cigar. I deal with a lot of people all the time coming to me about cigars. And they're like, you know, I've had this. And I tell you what, guys, can you do me a favor? When you come up to me and you talk about cigars, can we not talk about Cubans, please? That is one of the biggest myths in the cigar industry. And a lot of you guys don't know that. Um, sorry, I accidentally ashed on my desk there. Oops-a-daisy. Um, Cuban cigars... Where basically they invented the wheel. Pete Johnson from Tatuaje said it that Cuban cigars, Cubans invented the wheel. They're just making really shitty fucking wheels right now. I used to tell people when they come into my humidor, they'd be like, hey man, you got any Cubans? And I go, let me ask you a question. If you made $20 a month and the government that you were working for, you're making cigars for, killed your uncle, your grandfather, and your father, 
would you give a shit about your job? And they would say, fuck no, I wouldn't. And I was like, well, neither do they. I've cut open Cuban cigars and I have found rat shit. I have found newspaper. I have found hair. Most Cuban cigars, they just basically sweep up the floor of the factory, roll it up in a thing, and they go, here you go, stupid fucking American, enjoy. So when people come to me and they give me a Cuban cigar, and I'm doing air quotes here, I know we're on radio, but Cuban cigars, I'm like, wow, thank you very much. I truly appreciate it. But in my mind, please know that I'm going, the fuck did I ever do to you? So it's just... It's just, it's a myth, guys. You can have a beautiful My Father cigar for like 12 bucks, and you don't have to go to Cuba, and you don't have to stick them in your ass to get them back here to the country and, and whatnot. It's just, it's a myth. It's the forbidden fruit, you know? This beautiful cigar that I've got in my hand right now that I'm relighting is, is like $13. Some of you guys are paying $40, $50, $60 for rat shit and a freaking tobacco leaf. You know, there's people that are like, okay, yeah, well, smoking one cigar is like smoking an entire pack of cigarettes. That's bullshit. There's over 600, I think 696 different chemicals in a cigarette. There is nothing in a cigar. Nothing. It goes from the field to the aging room to where they hang it up and let the leaves age. To the rolling room to where they roll the cigars into a cigar. Back to the aging room, to where they age again, to the box, to your fucking hand. Now, how is that the same shit? Go fuck yourself. It's totally different. Knock it off. Anyway, that's I'm done with my cigar rant. There's a... So we'll, t- we'll talk about cigars later. That is actually something I want to implement into my podcast. We don't talk about cigars enough. And I think it's a nice thing. I think it's, it's a manly thing. In this, you know, you know, in this world to where it's practically fucking illegal to be a man, you know, to where you got to be a stumbling, bumbling beta male taking your kids to the soccer practice in a, in a minivan while your wife is whooping your ass and all that shit, and and on and on we go, and you got to have, you know, your man bun and your, you know, Starbucks cup full of strawberry douche, that type of shit. Yeah, that's not that way here. We drink whiskey, we drive large car trucks, we smoke cigars, and uh, we talk about pussy and fracking. Okay, sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> I might delete that. You know what, fuck it, I'm leaving it in there. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, smoke a fucking cigar, enjoy your life, enjoy a, a glass of scotch, enjoy a good, you know, good glass of whiskey, something like that. Listen to Frank Sinatra. I've been listening to Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin all day long, and all I've been thinking about is, you know what? They don't fucking make guys like that anymore. They don't. They don't. They they make guys to where if they say something they mean, they go, okay, there's some sort of, like, preamble to it. Like, I'm not saying that I don't like this or like this. However, this is what I think, and, you know, just... And then, then insert liberal, woke, disclaimer, here, here, and here. Fucking shut up. Just shut the fuck up. Enjoy your goddamn life. Make no apologies. Or at least make the least amount as possible. You know, if you're wrong, you're wrong. But are you wrong for being a an alpha male? Are you wrong for being a guy that likes a good cigar? You know, are you wrong for a guy that enjoys a nice glass of bourbon at the end of the day because you fucking worked hard? Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I know I'm going off on a tirade right now, and I, it's it's totally different than what it typically is. But, guys, we would have got here eventually. This is it, This is exactly who I am. This is what I think. This is my core belief system. It, it just is what it is. Um... And I guess that's how I cope. I cope with the stressors of life by being in a truck. Because I said the other day on Facebook, this is where life makes sense. There's no uh, gender sensitivity training on the inside of a Peterbilt. No, I bet you people that are sitting in a cubicle right now are envying the fuck out of me. 
There's no uh, Me Too movement on the inside of a Kenworth as you're rolling down the highway. Oh, yeah. I bet you wish you were a trucker now, huh? You know? That's the good thing about being a truck driver. You get to be the person that you were meant to be. That's what's in our DNA. That's what we are as men. We are men, and we are basically being force-fed this bullshit nowadays that we have to be this stumbling, bumbling fucking idiot that sits there and says, Well, the boss lady says I don't know if I am I should be able to have this cigar. I mean, I gotta stand outside and put a mask on my face and my dick while I smoke it, but okay, I guess I'll have a cigar with you. I mean, come the fuck on. I dealt with this in the cigar industry, too. I mean, it was frustrating when I was in the cigar industry because there would be these guys that would be like, you have to take a puff out of a cigar every 45 seconds, and you never let a cigar get to this. And, you know, dickhead, I dealt with and I grew up. My image of a guy with a cigar was a guy on a loading dock with a fucking chewed-up cigar in the end of his mouth going, all right, asshole, go ahead. Move the fucking crate over there. What the fuck is wrong with you? There was that guy. That's the guy. That's what a cigar is to me. It's a man's man thing. It's when you got a cigar and there's, you just, it's an unapologetic guy thing. You're not sitting there with a fucking Virginia Slim in your, in one hand and a goddamn juice box in the next. And uh, maybe that's why I'm such a big advocate for it. I've been smoking cigars since freaking 2000. I remember my first cigar. My first cigar, Uncle Charlie and I, I was in Chicago. Uncle Charlie is a guy I know. I'm not going to give you his last name, but let's put it this way. He owned a horse track, a casino, and uh, it's very, very old Chicago money. We'll just leave it at that. And I looked at him one day and I said, uh, Uncle Charlie, is there a place around here where I can get a cigar? I want to I want to go have a drink on the deck at your house and, and have a cigar. I just want to enjoy this nice fall day. And I'm telling you, fall time in Chicago is just the best. And I sat out there, and, and he goes, uh, he looks at me, and I said, uh, you know, I want to get a cigar. And he goes, yeah, my fucking kitchen. I go, excuse me? He takes me in the kitchen. He's got a humidor. He opens up. He goes, that's a Cuban. That's a Cuban. Monte Cristo number two torpedo, a Partagas Serie D Robusto, a Cohiba, a Bahique, a Boulevard. He just full of Cubans, right? But this was back in the day when the Cubans were actually good. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And uh, and I found out at a later date that it, actually all of his Cubans, he actually uh, they were like the good, the way they were supposed to be. Here's a little fun fact for you. If you get a Cuban cigar, you don't want to get the Cuban cigar that they actually sell. You want to get the Cuban cigar to where the uncle, he gets the bands. The aunt, she gets the boxes. The cousin gets the filler. The nephew gets the, the binder. And the grandfather gets the the uh, the wrapper. And they all meet together at the kitchen table and they make the most beautiful cigars in the world. They actually truly fucking care because they actually truly fucking get the money. And that's the cigars that he got. They were amazing. The first cigar I had, the first real cigar, other than a fucking Swisher Sweet, which is shit, um, I had on his deck. And I sat there and smoked that cigar till a freaking tiny little nub while I had a, a Chicago Martini, and Uncle Charlie Martini, which is basically vodka, a couple olives, ice, and a cup. I sat out there and had a little Uncle Charlie Martini and that Partagas Siri D Robusto cigar. And I watched the leaves fall off the tree. I watched. The, I felt the, the cool Chicago fall breeze on my face. And I took it every moment. And that was in literally in one of the most poorest times of my life. I was like 22, 23, new father, barely could fucking find my ass with both hands. And just, you know, struggling my way through life. But man, that moment right there, I felt like a million bucks having that beautiful cigar. And uh, never looked back. 
And every time I needed a moment where I needed to feel like, hey, hang in there. You've arrived. You're getting there, buddy. Keep hanging in there. It was always associated with a cigar. You never see anybody doing jumping jacks with a fucking cigar. You know? You never see anybody out there just, you know, uh, I mean, you'll see me. I'll be out there freaking tarping and strapping and chaining and shit like that with a cigar in my mouth. But a cigar typically is one of those things to where you're just kind of like, it's contemplative. You know, when I had my cigar shop, I'd watch guys come in, they'd get a cigar, they'd cut it, they'd light it, they'd sit back and sink into that leather chair. And they'd just kind of, you know, twist their head and, and nestle their head into the back of that deep leather chairs that I had there. And head tilted to the ceiling and look up at the ceiling and just go, <sighs> just exhale, just breathe. Just take a moment. Think about how far you've come, where you're going. What the fuck am I doing? I'm a man. I got all these people dependent on me. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? How the fuck am I going to get there? How am I going to fix this? God damn it. When's it going to get fucking easier? Take another draw off a cigar. Exhale again. Wow, this chair is nice. This is relaxing. I needed this. I really needed this. This is good. All right. Think it through. That's the way the man's mind works. Some of you, some of you ladies out there, you don't know this. We carry this heavy, heavy burden as men. And we sit there and we have to talk to ourselves. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What if I did this? What if I did that? How the fuck am I going to fix this? Where did I go wrong? Okay, alright. We'll get there. We'll get there. Come on, Sean. You can do this. And you do that over a cigar. While you have that cigar. And then before you know it, life makes sense again. This world makes sense again. And then you grab your lighter just like so. Touch up those edges of that cigar. Make it perfect. Take another draw. And move the fuck on. And that's what it's like to be a man. With a cigar in your hand. Okay. Alright. So that's enough about cigars. I could go on and on and on and on and on about cigars, folks. Trust me. That's why they call me Stogie. (sighs) So, I, you know, in this genre, you know, you ever seen that movie Ocean's Eleven? There's a guy in that movie. His name is Jerry Weintraub. Good guy. I think it was Ocean's Thirteen or something like that. To where he was kind of a character in it. And he made, this guy's story is phenomenal. He's got a book saying, uh, this, this book that I'm actually working through, when I stop talking, you'll know I'm dead. This guy is, is extraordinary. Um, little story about him. Back in the day, the guy, he had like, he was working and people knew him and people believed in him, but he didn't have two fucking nickels to rub together, right? And... But he had big aspirations, big fucking dreams, right? You know, most people were slapping him on the back saying, Hey, kiddo, you're doing good, buddy. You keep at it, man. If you ever fucking need anything, let me know. That type of shit. But on the other side of the coin, he also had people that are going, Dude, you need to get a fucking normal job and you know, get your head out of your ass. Get your head out of the clouds and things. But he, he, he knew in his mind that he was going to be somebody. Didn't make sense to anybody else, but it made sense to him. So he just stayed in it. And there's a cool story about him. He uh, he wanted to basically be kind of like a I don't want to say like a producer type of thing, but he wanted to be uh, he wanted to be involved with Elvis Presley. And every day for a year, he would call Colonel Parker, Elvis's uh, 
handler slash man manager, whatever the hell you call Colonel Parker back in the day, he'd say, I want to take Elvis out on tour. Colonel Parker would hang up on him. Following day, he would do it. And I'm by no stretch of the imagination, he called Colonel Parker 365 times. 365 times. Something he believed in. And said, I want to take Elvis Presley out on tour. I want to promote him. And Colonel Parker, you know, when he hit that about that year mark, he said... Okay, I'll let you take Elvis out on tour, but it's going to cost you a million dollars. And he said, okay, all right, you got a deal. I'll meet you, I'd say, you know, I'm just speculating here. I think it was something like, you know, week, two weeks, I'll meet you and I'll have a cashier's check for you. Do you realize the balls it takes to agree to one of the biggest managers of one of the biggest artists of the time? that you were going to give him $1 million back in the, what, the 50s, the 60s, when that's like basically $25 million, and say, yes, I'm going to do this, and you don't have $25 to your name? You don't have shit. You have nothing. So his objective went from calling Elvis's manager every day to... Where the fuck am I going to find a million dollars, man? And he turned over every rock. Every freaking rock. And he found a guy. I think it was like a day or two days before he met with Colonel Parker. Just right before he met with him. And he said, okay, I'll give you the money. No contract, no nothing. No, not even a handshake. It was all done over the phone. Wow, times have fucking changed, right? So anyway, he gets the money, goes to the bank, or he goes to the bank to get the money, and it's not available yet. And next thing you know, he waits a couple hours, then the president of the bank comes out and said, uh, I've got a check here, a wire transfer, for $1 million made out to Elvis Presley. And he goes, yeah, that's that's for me. And he goes, I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. What are you what are you doing? And he goes, I'm getting ready to take Elvis out on tour. I had to pay a million dollars to do such a thing. And he goes, I'm a big fan of Elvis. Do you need an accountant to go out on tour with you? I'll be happy to do it. That's the president of the bank, right? So he goes out. And takes Elvis on tour. And by the end of the tour, he's a millionaire. He put his balls next to the bandsaw. And by the end of the day, when he was done, he paid that man back his million dollars. And when he was done, he was a millionaire. And at the end of the tour, you know, he is just happy as hell that he is a millionaire. And, uh, They're wrapping things up. And Colonel Parker comes out to him in the lobby of the hotel. And he says, we need to go up to your room. I've got something for you. And Colonel Parker's carrying two suitcases. And uh, he goes, okay. They go into the room. They put the two suitcases on the bed. He opens them up. They're full of cash. And Colonel Parker goes, go ahead, stack that shit up right there. Stack it up. He goes, what are you talking about? I I've made my money. I'm good. What do you want? He goes, stack the money up. Put it in a pile. Put it in a big pile. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. He's like, all right. So he puts the money in a big pile. Colonel Parker takes his cane, because I don't know if you remember about Colonel Parker. He, uh, He walked with a cane. He takes his cane and smacks it down in this massive pile of money and pushes one side of the pile to the left and the other side of the pile to the right and he said half of that's yours half of that's mine we good he said yeah yeah we're good what's this from he goes this is from the t-shirts the scarves the keychains and everything that we made on tour we good yeah yeah we're good so uh this is a good book 
I highly I highly recommend you uh, you pick it up. It's called When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead by Jerry Weintraub. Why am I talking about this story? One of the things that I hear all the time when it comes to the shit that I do is either people poo-pooing it, telling me to give it up and knock it off, or how have you done everything that you've done? And I've done a lot. We haven't even talked about all that I've done. That's one of the wonderful things about this podcast. I'm going to tell you about what I did now that I've got your attention. And when I was doing a lot of the things that I was doing and when I was achieving a lot of the things that I was achieving, I used to hear all the time from the people that surrounded me, how the fuck did you pull this off? And one of the answers I'd always give him was, I asked. I just asked. So allow me to tell you another story and this will make sense to you. And then maybe old Stogie the trucker will make a little more sense to you. And why I swing for the fence like I do. And why when you tell me, give it up, knock it off, I look at you like, what the fuck do you know? What the fuck have you done? You don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you why. Way back when, I used to live in St. Louis. And when I lived in St. Louis, I had a little piece of shit construction company. Come on, lighter, you piece of shit. Anyway, I had a little construction company. I did tile and marble, but I specialized in mosaics. I learned how to I learned the art of mosaics. Mosaics are the basically the things you see in the Catholic churches, the ones of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all the saints and whatnot, made out of tiny little pieces of marble or glass. Well, I learned how to do that. For the most part, taught myself how to do it. Researched it, studied it. Well, I realized that churches weren't really doing it anymore, and I needed to figure out a way to do what I enjoy doing, which is that, and find a way to make it big because it was incredibly gratifying doing that you know you take something to where you take one piece of stone after the next and you blend the colors of the stone and the glass and you know you walk away from it after working on it for four five six hours and you see what you've created you don't see it when you're doing it but when you walk away you see what you've achieved and it's like really gratifying and then when you're done you see the weeks or months of the work that you put together one little tiny piece at a time patiently precisely placed and now it's one big thing of beauty it's kind of like life one little piece one little action one little footstep and when it's all said and done, it's beautiful. But anyway, that's what I loved about mosaics back in the day, right? Well, I realized that churches weren't doing it anymore. And it wasn't going well. And I just could not find any damn work. And I'm like, God, I'm good at what I do. What the fuck? And I wound up finding a job to where I did this backsplash for this high-end interior remodeler in, in uh, St. Louis, and I was on that show, HGTV's show, uh, What You Get for the Money. So I did that show, wound up being on TV, and it was cool and all that, but it was stressful to get it done in a very short amount of time. But we got it done. And I took that, and I was like, okay, well, that's on my resume. Who's the biggest person in St. Louis? All right. I know who it is. It's Nelly, the rapper. That rap star, Nelly, the movie The Longest Yard just came out. He was at the top of his game. I think he just took the Band-Aid off his fucking face. I don't know. Not a big rap fan. I know that might come as a shock to you. Not a fan. But anyway, I wound up uh, going, okay. All right, motherfucker. I want some of your money. So, what I did was I got on the internet, found out 
who the contact people were. And I, what I did was I found somebody that was within the industry to where it's like with booking and, you know, publicist, things like that. Wound up getting an email. I sent an email saying, hey, I'm willing to do this complimentary. I'll do, uh, I'll do a free mosaic for you, you know, in a four by six frame. You can hang it wherever you want it. Just tell me what you want and I'll do it. And I wound up getting an email back. And it just so happened that they were going to do some renovations and they just had a guy do their studio and he shit the bed in a colossal fashion when it came to getting it done. It was pretty much $150,000 worth of construction work that they could not do anything with. It all had to leave the place in a dumpster. The guy oversold himself in a big, big way. So, Nelly had quite a bit of money at the time and I said okay I will come out there and I will do that well while I was out there I was able to have a meeting with him and talked about possibilities of doing this that and the other thing and wound up convincing them to do a rather large project and he said okay I want you to come back in about two weeks I'm going to talk to Nelly See what he thinks about it. If Nelly gives it the green light, we'll go ahead and we'll do it. And I put a bid proposal together. And folks, when I tell you this, there's a level of broke, and then there's a level of baroque. And I was broke. And I'll tell you how broke I was. I was so broke, I had to go to a Dodge dealership to do a test drive in a vehicle just so I could get the 45 minutes across town to go to that office. I had a $1.63 to my name and five kids at home. Five kids at home. It was all or nothing. I went out there with a $1.63 in my pocket and a time limit on a test drive and a frickin' Dodge Avenger and I walked out of there with $10,000 and he paid me in cash for a deposit on a job and I think only maybe 1500 of it was for materials that was all like that was all me I had so much cash in my pocket that when I was driving back in that frickin' test drive vehicle, and man, I tell you what, I was like trying to get through that damn meeting and get that money, get the fuck gone as quick as I could so I didn't get in trouble, that I had so much cash in my pocket, it hurt my leg to be in my pocket. My jeans were squeezing against my leg. It was like, a, it was like having a Big Mac in your pocket or a brick. crazy now obviously it temporarily solved my financial woes and was able to launch me into a new trajectory career wise but it was a lesson that taught me in perpetuity forever something I'll never let go it's something I never will will give up on and, and kind of the baseline for the way I think that it doesn't have to make sense to work out. It could be the most harebrained horseshit that you could write down on paper. But if you believe in it, it's going to work. You know, Jerry Weintraub's philosophy on getting Elvis to be his customer or his client was just, okay, all right, if you think that'll work, that's fine. But it worked, and it, and he died with a net worth of $250 million, I think, and made his mark as a one of the biggest philanthropists there are. He had a quote. If you think if something's good, and you believe in it, and you care about it, 
and you give it love and nurture it, it's going to happen. So, when you come to me and tell me that we can't change the playing field in the trucking industry, you take my backstory of what I know and what I've done and what I've accomplished and really think about it really hard and come to me with your best argument. You're not going to have all the confidence that you think you do. Because you don't know. I put 10 grand in my pocket on a fucking wing and a prayer. Jerry Weintraub wound up taking the biggest artist known in history and made himself a multi, multi, multi millionaire. It doesn't have to make sense to you it to work you know that right and some of you guys what the fuck do you even know what qualifies you to know I don't know what state has this as a model motto but it says as long as I breathe there is hope As long as I breathe, there is hope. It's crazy, isn't it? So, with that being said, you're not going to convince me that changing this industry for the better, or at least making a dent in it, is not going to work. You're, you're it's just not. You better find something else to do. It's not going to work. You're not going to convince me. I've done too much other shit. And folks, that's just one story. That is one story. I can sit here and tell you stories for hours. That's going to be part of my podcast is some of the stories of my life. I'm going to tell you stories about how one day I didn't have fucking two nickels to rub together. And the next day I'm outside doing a tile job in a mansion to where I'm watching Jeff Foxworthy walk by with his dog taking it to shit. Two doors down from Usher. Okay. The amount of celebrities I've met in my life, you'll never imagine who I've met. I've met everybody from everywhere and every genre. I've done it all. And I guess that's what you're going to come to learn in this podcast. Because this is not just a podcast. This is my memoirs. This is going to be a documentation of my life and the journey that I've lived. And how it applies to the here and the now and what we're doing here and now. I am not in any way, shape, or form intimidated by the task at hand of saying, we're going to take this trucking industry and we're going to, we're going to shake it up a little bit. We're going to get its attention. Because there's some things that aren't, that aren't right here. So why don't, we, uh, why, don't we, why don't we shake things up a bit? Let's see what we can accomplish here. It's got to be better than doing nothing. It's got to be better than sitting on the CB going, Hey, it's a fucking good days are over, man. Sons of bitches, y'all fucking pack her up. We're done. Get the fuck out of here. Miss me with that shit. Go fuck yourself. I'm not buying it. I still got a lot of trucking I want to do. I got to still, uh, I, got, I got a lot I want to accomplish and experience. And I, you know what? I just don't feel like giving up. I don't feel like, uh, Doing what you say that I need to do. I'm not going to do that. So, uh, I don't know. Uncle Charlie used to say all the time he had his own jet, right? He had his own private jet. I remember we were all sitting around having a drink, and we all had to pick a number between one to whatever the fuck, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, I think my number was eight. There was like eight or nine of us in there. Everybody had to say a number, and you couldn't say the same number. And he's like, all right. He gives the person on the other line the phone, the number. And uh, we're like, what was that all about? And he's like, they needed a number for the wing of my, for the, the tail feather of my airplane. I had to give him a number. The fuck? We just came up with the number for your private jet? Okay. But anyway, so come to 
the point I was trying to make about his private jet, he used to have a philosophy when we would go anywhere, and if we were traveling on the jet, it was, if you're late, you're left. If you're late, you're left. Think about that with life. If you're late, you're left. Trucks are changing. The industry's changing. That doesn't mean we have to accept all of it. That doesn't mean we can't show up. That doesn't mean we can't make some noise. That doesn't mean we can't rattle the fucking bars of the cage a little bit. And be heard. I'm not shitting on the previous generation, but... On the other side of the coin, I, I don't know, I wasn't there. Did you rattle that cage? Did you really, really rattle that cage? Or did you just let it happen and slip underneath the covers of that... I'm just going to complain blanket. Bitch on the CB. And complain to the coworker or whoever will listen to it. But you never did a fucking thing. I'm not saying the older generation did that. I'm just saying if you were part of the older generation and you did that, then... Uh, shut the fuck up while we clean up your mess. And what I mean by we is I mean me and whoever else prescribes to the same philosophy that I do right now. What do I say all the time? Concentrate 90% on the solution and 10% on the problem. Sitting there bitching and pissing and moaning about the problem is never going to get anything done. When I showed up at the Nelly's office, I was not bitching, pissing, and moaning that I only had $1.63 in my pocket. I was laser focused on getting all of that rap star's money. And a uh, little side note for you. I worked for him for about, I'd say, three and a half months. And I made $63,000 in three and a half months. And I did the tile work that was on MTV Cribs. I met Ashanti. I met Cedric the Entertainer. I met Snoop Dogg. That's a story for another day. I met Carmelo Anthony. I met David Banner. And various other rap artists and people in that industry. And uh, we got stories for days. But we'll... Uh, We'll save some of those stories for when you see me at a truck show and I have a, a couple of drinky poos in my, in my hand and I'll share them with you. But think about it. Do you have a dream in the palm of your hand? Do you have something you want to do in this industry? Do you have a mark that you want to make? Do you have something you need to say? Why aren't you saying it? Who told you not to say anything? Who told you why you shouldn't say anything? Who told you why you shouldn't do anything? Are you one of those guys that drives around one of those trucks for a company that you hate? And then you see some tailor truck go by and you go, ah, I can't work there because of X, Y, and Z. Who told you you can't? Why do you believe that you can't? Who told you you can't drive a hood? When I got my CDL, everybody told me that you got to be driving for 15 years before you even got a hope to drive a hood. My ass was behind a hood at 13 months of having my CDL, and I haven't looked back since. Go fuck yourself, you know-it-all jack-off. Who told you you can't? But the big question is, why the fuck do you believe them? It doesn't have to be something trucking related. It could be something personal. It could be something educational. It could be something that is 
been burning on the inside of you for as long as can be. I had a friend of mine that I work with the other day. He had an idea for a t-shirt. He's like, now don't steal this. And he gave me the idea for it, and I told him to do it. The fuck's stopping you? That's it, it, What is stopping you from the shit that you want? And the only reason I'm telling you this is I have no skin in the game as far as you achieving whatever other than the fact that maybe you would be a little less fucking miserable in this industry as if you would just look at what has been burning deep down inside you as far as what you want out of life. And you would stop acting like it's some sort of esoteric, mythological pie-in-the-sky type of bullshit dream that could never possibly happen in in and it and it could happen just stop fucking overthinking it stop thinking that it's it's not meant for you because honestly some of the most successful people out there had absolutely nothing going for them Nothing. Every reason to fail. But they still got it done. You know, I worked for Crown Forklifts, right? I grew up in New Bremen, Ohio. Where Crown Forklifts was was invented. And that was what you did. Was you left high school and you went and worked for Crown in the factory. And then if you're really lucky, you got to put on the white shirt and the tie and wear the credentials on your belt. Go have those sales meetings and have one and a cat, one and a half kids and live in a subdivision and maybe buy yourself a jet ski eventually. Well, folks, I tripped and fell throughout life. And then I finally got to a point to where I was eligible to work for that company. I worked for Crown worked as a service technician for the better part of a year and a half and then I got promoted to aftermarket sales rep and I got my white shirt and I got my tie and I got my cubicle I got my little badge on my hip and it was the most miserable fucking period of my life that I could possibly possibly describe it was these bullshit sales meetings to where you're sitting around like <laughs> that was a good one bob man i tell you what how's the wife how's the kids good great grand fantastic and then you got the the sales guy uh bill so-and-so standing over there going all right guys this is what we're gonna it fucking sound like a disc jockey from the fucking 50s right and i'd sit there at these sales meetings going I just want to walk into fucking oncoming traffic. I want to I want to cross the street without looking both ways. Fucking hell. My whole philosophy, this thing that I had in my life like, okay, that guy over there in the white shirt and the tie, that that guy's got it got it made. Fuck that shit. And I tell you what, when I had that moment in my life where I was like, okay, this was a childhood dream of mine that this was not what I wanted, but this was the image of what was, I don't know, I guess the end of the road, you know, this is, was the, the summit of success. And then I realized it was just a fucking, just shit covered nachos, just bullshit. It was, wasn't worth a fuck. It was misery on a bun. I hated it. That changed me. What that did was it enabled me to start living my life with eyes wide open going, okay, let's let's just find out what makes you happy. And you know what? This is why for the past two years, I would do these videos and say, it makes sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense to you. I love these trucks for my reasons. And if you would peel back the curtain of who Sean Dirksen is, you would understand. But you don't see behind the curtain of that because it is a cornucopia, a multitude of reasoning behind it. There are 
a million moments that led up to where I am right now. And I take them all because I'm a very deep thinking, introspective oriented man that thinks about that stuff and the past and where I've come from, you know, that moment in that leather chair, that sitting back thinking how far you've come. And I've looked at my life entirely as a whole. And I say to myself, yeah, some of this is hard. But man, it's so much easier than that white collar job that I thought from afar was fantastic. It's so much better than that working for that multi-millionaire rap artist that one day when I was sitting in his lobby finishing up my work day, we were surrounded by a bunch of lifted lime green and candy apple red Caprice classics that came in with guns in hand looking for Nelly because he owed that artist he owed that artist I think $5,000 for a tour that he never paid and uh, fun fact for you that was take my son to work day I had my son Zachary with me yeah while a bunch of thugs rolled in with guns looking for Nelly the band-aid man <sighs> anyway you take all those moments, roll them all together, and go, eh, it's a little snow today, but I think we're going to be all right. We've been through this before. Ah, shit, I got a hole in my tarp. We'll fold her in. We'll throw some straps over it. We'll get on by. Ah, damn it. The old deaf system went out. I guess we're going home for a little bit. We'll get paid some breakdown pay. We'll get by. Or you know it, that truck will be good as gold and we'll be back on the road. Ah, shit. I guess I gotta go to this area. I'm not a big fan of it, but the sooner I get it done, the quicker I'll be out of there and we'll be good to go. That is how I get through my day-to-day -day as a truck driver, folks. It's starting to make a little more sense now, isn't it? Yeah. <sighs> Don't you love podcasts? You don't have to watch my goofy mug on YouTube. You can just sit here and put me on your phone mount and listen to me ramble on. And if you hang in long enough, shit just might fucking make sense if you open up your ears for a second. I don't know. Just a thought. But anyway. Yeah. I don't even know what... Uh, I don't even know what I set out to talk about. Hold on, let me look at my notes here. I think uh, I think we covered some stuff, yeah. I had one, two, three, four, five topics. I think we covered them all. You know what? One thing we didn't cover. And it's this. And I'll close with this. I've always been a big fan of Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. To some of you that didn't come up in that era, you might not get it. To some of you that did, maybe you will. Frank Sinatra, he was like uh, the outlaw in an era to where it didn't, I don't know, it's hard to explain. He just kind of a, uh, He's a tough son of a bitch, a no-nonsense type of guy. That crooner that was told that he wasn't worth a shit. He almost died when he was a baby. Grew up in old uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. The underdog. And he wound up being the chairman of the board. The end-all and be-all. People that came up in that era that had the privilege of meet him, meeting him, um, they'll actually, they measured their sense of self-worth at the fact that they got a, to shake the hand of Frank Sinatra. I shook, I shook Frank Sinatra's hand. Success. The definition of success. And he had his trials and tribulations, right? He had the heartbreaks, the love affairs, the pain, 
I think he was, what was it, Ava Gardner? He was madly in love with her and tough times and whatnot. And I think she said she was going to leave him. And there was a story, and don't quote me, but there was a story to where just to get her attention, he was in a hotel room. She was like, I never want to see you again, Frank. And I think he fired a forty-five into a pillow to make her think that he took his own life. And she came running in and in terror, worried about what she was going to see. And there was old Frankie boy sitting on the edge of the bed smiling. That's Frank. I got you. Frank Sinatra, all or nothing, baby. Well, to me, Frank Sinatra is the definition of cool. He's the definition of, you know what, fuck you. I'll make my own way. I don't want to play on your team. I'll make my own team. I don't want to play in your ballpark. I'll make my own ballpark. And he did. And I always tell, I made a point to tell my kids... And to tell my family that when I die, I ask one thing. Play My Way by Frank Sinatra when I die at my funeral. I did it my way. My way. Doesn't have to make sense to you. God gave me one life. One path. There's all little little steps and stones that I've gone through in my life that is completely and utterly different than yours. Why the fuck would my life make sense to you? Why the hell would my belief system make sense to you? You didn't walk with me this entire way. You didn't see the things that I've seen. He didn't do the things that I did. So you do your thing. And I'll do mine. Maybe I'll see you at the finish line. Maybe not. But I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Well, guys, I will leave you with that. I want to thank you once again for staying with me here. I want to thank you once again for being here in general. Whether you follow me on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever the hell. Or if you just sit there and let me uh, sit in your passenger seat while you're trucking down the road and talking your ear off. In the bottom of my I truly appreciate you. And I hope this finds you well. I hope this helps you in some way. I hope you find a little bit of comfort in it. Maybe even some inspiration in it. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I have no idea. But I hope it makes things a little bit better for you. And we will keep churning these out. We will keep doing our little thingy thing over here. I got plenty of cigars and plenty of freaking whiskey (laughs) now granted if I'm on the road I don't do that shit but if I'm here in the old uh, beat laboratory I'm gonna have a nice uh, little bowl of loudmouth soup with me and I'll try to do my best to keep you company while you push on just another mile or two guys I love you I hope you're happy healthy loving and living life and old Bonnie and I We'll be seeing you on the back home. Giddy up.